Hello friends and enemies and welcome to Changelog episode 8. On this episode I talk with Eli Kurtz about fantasy folklore, base building, and faction mechanics as well as being a labor junkie, maps, and narrative fight scenes. Eli was a great guest and I, uh, I really appreciated him coming on and uh, I hope you enjoy it. Are you ready Intropot? Let's begin! It's always a joke that there's no intro, and when I just start, so that's what this is now. I guess that is the intro. Hi, uh, w- welcome to Changelog. I'm Chris, and I'm here with a a hustle buddy, uh, <laughs> Eli right. Kurtz. That's right. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Good to be here. I knew you had you you did Jung-Hoo Hustle. Like I've listened to a couple episodes, um, but I never pointed put together that my game has hustle in it and your podcast and and you're making a game too, right? A yeah, who hustle game? Well, yeah. we are, but we don't have a name for it yet. Like the closest thing we have to a name so far is this really corny, overwrought, like artsy fartsy bullshit, and <laughs> <laughs> and so we just kind of call it the game when we're talking about the it game? between the two of us. <laughs> That's right, but it is a, a wuxia game, right? It, uh... it is for sure. Yeah, we uh, okay. so like Jung Hu Hustle, we watch kung fu movies and wuxia movies and then we analyze them for genre tropes and then we talk about how to apply those to game design um i should i should really listen to those more because i think it would help me you know (laughs) i i am surprised by how broadly applicable it can be uh we did an episode where we compared wuxia to a bunch of other genres and there are some genres that are better fits than others like classically you know samurai movies took a lot from western movies and wuxia movies are definitely not samurai movies but they're close enough that like there are still some western tropes that you can see in a lot of wuxia movies especially ones that have come out in the past like 20 years but yeah in terms of uh gangster movies like the godfather and stuff and Mm -hmm. in terms of superhero movies it's almost like a one-to-one translation between wuxia and those genres except for you know all the all the cultural details that come along with each one of them Um, it's really really cool to see how that works out and like i know that hard space hustle is inspired by like um uh cowboy bebop and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. i i know there's definitely a lot that could be applicable from wuxia there in terms of like you know living on the margins of society and all that stuff yeah i i have a quick question for you that might break my heart Uh so far i've always been uh been not surprised because i think it's an amazing film uh but my absolute favorite uh, kung fu movie uh is is kung fu hustle <laughs> uh and i'm wondering what a a person who actually watches a bunch of kung fu and wuxia movies thinks about my favorite stephen chow classic for sure well kung fu hustle. we do have an episode on it actually so you can oh, you can hear exactly but the cliff notes are that i really love it a lot and the name kung fu hustle was definitely an inspiration for the name of the podcast so awesome yeah it's definitely uh an influence on the name of this this game <laughs> amazing i love it yeah we, that and you know bebop is a like and, and shampoo and you know hustles a dance it's not a very cool dance yeah sure think, sure <laughs> it's still in the the music uh wheelhouse yeah for sure no i hear you and like so you know I, I really love the action in kung fu hustle and i really love the cartoonish humor 
Um, yeah. And then there are some parts where I'm like, ah, eh, well, it's wearing a little thin or like it just barely outstayed its welcome here or something. But generally, I am always down to watch that movie. Yeah, I, it's it's a movie. I need to watch it again because I haven't watched it in a while. But it's it's a movie I will watch at any opportunity <laughs> oh for sure for sure and like uh, the the scene where he's trying to hit the the landlady and he keeps like he dumps the snakes on himself and then he's running uh-huh. down the road and it's a literal like roadrunner and wily e. coyote chase oh my god <laughs> that movie is so good so um, the the part that always stands out to me isn't funny uh it's it's the, well there's two parts well no i think yeah two different parts the parts where the three fighters oh, come to yeah. save the the thing like when they all come out of like they're hiding and they, oh it's just yeah. like the gang coming together situation it's so fucking cool it's so and, like cool. I, I just lean an inch away from my screen in that scene <laughs> which isn't good for my eyes i'm sure and then the scene where they fight the brothers or twins the musicians yeah uh, no and that's such a cool music power too i actually so yeah. in the blackwood which is my other thing that i've done um the first edition of it was for savage worlds and Mm -hmm. i made sure that i included some powers that were like oh yeah you can you can play really sharp notes that hurt people like that you know Mm -hmm. um it's a there's a there's a a uh, and not an option i should probably like write like expand more on atheurgy for mm -hmm. uh Hard to say, but the idea is you have to like somehow clear your mind to channel the powers of the galaxy through you. Yeah. Um. And and like one in my mind, one like one one of the options in my head is like, well, a fucking mus- a musician atheurge would be awesome. Yeah, uh, for sure. You know, plays so, music to channel re- the space magic. Oh yeah, for sure. Like reading through that in the book, it it reminded me of the Force, of course, and then it also reminded me of whatever the equivalent is in Mass Effect. I I haven't played much of that, so I can't remember. But Bi- biotics, biotics. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, uh, no, a music aether would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Okay. Well, now that we've talked about. <laughs> uh, uh, kung fu and magic. Uh, let's t- ice break. Let's break some ice. That sounds great. Um, I love breaking ice. Yeah, uh, e- Eli. We all, all of us, game designers, get, get, our eyes get a bit bigger than our stomachs sometimes, mm-hmm. and we, we, you know, start games with like, making games with all this energy, and then we get to a point where we're like. I don't know what to do with this anymore. And then we yep. throw that in the game graveyard, convinced that we're going to go back to it someday. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is, uh, what is the, the the game in your game graveyard you can't stop thinking about or a game you would really like to make someday but don't know how? Yeah, so um, it's called Up She Rises, and it's very rare that I have a title before anything else, but this one just jumped out to me. Uh, I have a secret love of sea shanties. Actually, it's not a secret love. I just love sea shanties. Yeah, they're very good. Yeah, they're very good. And I love them because they are fun to sing along to, uh, and they're like a group singing activity, but also because they are um, a way to coordinate work on a ship. That's how they came around, right? I think that's so cool, and I would love to write a sea shanty game where you are a crew of people on a ship, whether you're pirates or or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. Although, actually, I found out that historically, a lot of commercial ships didn't allow shanty singing, and so it happened more often on pirate ships and stuff like that than anywhere else. What? That, what? Okay. Yeah, Hold right. On. Uh, just more of me. I'm going to real just hate on some. 
<laughs> capitalism. <laughs> what the fuck? You don't let them sing? I'm totally... They're working their ass off and not making any fucking money and they can't sing? Right. And also, like, again, that's how they coordinated work. So a commercial ship is basically like, hey, make sure you're not synchronized when you're trying to get across this dangerous ocean so that you can carry my product for you. You know, it's like so stupid. Um, fuck rich people. <laughs> I know. Fuck rich people so hard. But... Yeah, so I really want to write this game where you are a crew of people, and I kind of want to use it as a vehicle to both explore like what pirate democracy looked like and yeah. what uh, a sort of more positive masculinity is. Because a lot of guys yeah. are like, "Nah, singing is you know singing isn't cool or whatever," and I'm like, "But I really love singing, and it'd be really fun to do a game that's about a bunch of dudes on a ship who are singing together. That sounds like a great time." Mm-hmm. Um, the problems that I have with it are that. I want it to be a game where you make a shanty together. And so you're uh-huh. you're basically like writing a poem and I don't know how to gamify that. <laughs> right. Uh are you a are you a poet? No. I the only time I've written poetry was in college after a breakup, yeah. you know, like it, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I I I thought I was like plumbing the depths of my soul back in college <laughs> or whatever, but looking back on it I'm like, "Oh yeah, you're a silly fool, Eli." <laughs> yeah, that's that's me anytime I like look back on at a time point in my life where I was emotional uh-huh. which is fucking always because uh-huh. i'm a mess <laughs> yeah i love reading poetry i just am terrible at writing it <laughs> i i have the same disconnect with poetry that i have with like um s- story games oh yeah uh, in that like if it like if there's not a solid way to interpret it mm-hmm. or a or a like ballpark correct way to interpret it i assume i'm doing it wrong and have no confidence. So I'll read a poem, and like the 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 most anxiety-inducing thing in any English class was them like, "Hey, let's crit this poem I just made you read. What's this poem about?" Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "I don't, I don't fucking know." A dress. They talk about a dress. It's about a dress. And like, no, it's about friendship. I'm like, I don't fuck. It's not a dress. It is a friendship. Once, motherfuckers. Yeah, right. I know. And like, so when it comes to interpreting a poem, I'm like, well, I guess I sometimes I have my idea about what it means, but mostly I just think the words are pretty. And like, yeah, that's what I'm here for. Leave me alone about this crit stuff. <laughs> I'll definitely get in on like longer form poetry. Uh-huh. Like, um, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm just, just like poems that tell a story mm-hmm. because like the it's the same reason i like uh, uh hip-hop and rap a lot like i like the the spoken cadence of things like it's very um not soothing soothing is the wrong word my, my brain likes patterns yeah like you so, can get into the flow of it yeah so i like that i like that aspect of poems but like <sighs> i i'm just a, a big dummy when it comes to it, uh, like <laughs> interpreting <laughs> meaning um <laughs> for sure but yeah i can see that being a problem uh friend of the show uh riley who was on the very first uh change log uh-huh. um they want to make a pirate game uh, in, in a similar vein i don't know if uh they're interested in specifically writing the shanties but they're trying to incorporate like the collaborative m- musical aspect of it in a game um and obviously, uh, the problem with that is how do you play online? Mm-hmm. Uh, because sonically, that's a nightmare. <laughs> yeah, right. I, uh, if I you're did a trying to tap along and stuff. <laughs> I did an actual play series of Blades in the Dark on YouTube uh, for the past like nine or ten months. It recently came to a close, and mm-hmm. they wanted to tell a story about dockers. And I was like, "Well, I want to tell a story about labor organizations." So here are some options. And they were like, "Yeah, the dockers mm-hmm. sound really great." Um, and so I 
like singing, like I've said. And so there were a few times when I would like change the lyrics of a shanty and or like a labor song or something. And then I would sing it during the show. And there was one time where I was like, okay, we're going to do this chorus together. It was <laughs> the worst decision. <laughs> uh, I think I think you'll find it's the best decision. Well, um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I I made a long time ago uh, I collaborated on a game called Witch Scouts uh-huh. and the way uh, the the way you start every session of Witch Scouts you're supposed to recite the the Witch Scouts code mm. uh, which is a very cute and fun short poem thing mm-hmm. uh, and especially online it's a fucking blast because it sounds terrible <laughs> uh, with everybody trying to do it at once but it definitely like loosens people up like yeah. if most people couldn't get through it without laughing and it really set the tone for what was going to be a silly lighthearted game right and now when i play test uh the pokemon game amara and i are working on i i get the people we're playtesting with to sing the the first verse and chorus of the pokemon theme that's amazing have you seen and it's, the video of the guy who originally sang that coming back into the booth like 30 years later i i don't I, I don't know. I've seen I've seen a video of him just fucking going oh, for it. Yeah, he loves right. singing that song. Yeah. And it's so pure and good. I think it's the same one. And like it, I watched that about a million times. And you know, somewhere in the five hundred thousand range, I realized, oh, he's lip syncing right now. He's not actually singing this. And that made it so much better for me for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize yeah i just loved how into it he was i know he's so into it and then when you realize like he's not actually singing it's like oh man he's so much more into it than i realized (laughs) (laughs) it's good stuff oh man uh so now that we've we've broken this ice i do think like uh a sea shanty building like like that's a you you really gave yourself a hard one there no kidding right (laughs) how do you gamify making poetry it's hopeless and that's what i think about every time i'm doing it i'm like well how do i get people to write verse uh i i don't know how i write verse i'm not gonna tell people how to do it (laughs) i was gonna say like like getting me to play that game would be a nightmare (laughs) because that's the thing too like i know not every game is for every person or whatever but it feels like this is like an especially niche game (laughs) just just a bunch of music nerds and poetry nerds right right and like you know make a game for them why not but like i think i would be excluded from that group of the game that i'm trying to write for (laughs) make a game you can't even play right so maybe i should i don't know i'm still it's still in my graveyard it might be resurrected one day but look if you don't if you don't shoot if you shoot for the stars sometimes you hit the moon so (laughs) hopefully something will come of it hopefully that is that is great uh so this is the the, we get into the meat of the show here where um we're going to talk about uh what makes an eli game so and it could be like something that you are very much stand putting in your own game or it could be something as simple as you're reading through a game trying to learn it and you get to a mechanic or or something that you're like oh yes (laughs) like even if it's in a bad game if you see it you're like okay Mm-hmm. I, okay yeah. uh so so what kind of what kind of mechanics or design are you super into in games yeah well you know i think of myself more as a narrative designer than a mechanical designer i um uh-huh. i've always had like an uncomfortable relationship with math in my life and uh-huh. i think it's kind of chased me away or i've chased myself away from doing a lot of really intentional mechanical design so i tend to yeah. hack games more often than i design from scratch 
I mean, look, you're smarter than some of us. <laughs> it's still it's still quite a bit of work, but I I am relieved that I don't have to design too much, right? But like, yeah. So thematically, I came up in fantasy, and that's the genre of RPGs that I probably like the best. But I actually mm-hmm. prefer a twist on fantasy that's folklore stuff. Um, oh yes, yeah, and and it kind of goes back to like the sea shanty thing, you know. That was a way for them to coordinate work. Folklore was a way for working class people to share facts and observances about their lives without waiting for it to show up in a printed book or on a a, a play stage or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really cool. I love that it's got a sort of like communal didactic element that brings people together and for me that's exactly what rpgs are all about so mm-hmm. i love folklore fantasy in rpgs and that's basically all i've published so far in one way or another um but i also am an absolute fool for faction mechanics or uh-huh. base building okay. or whatever i know that often that's not like a intuitive part of the group storytelling experience of a role-playing game but i do not care if you give me if you give me rules for how to build out a house that i can live in in my role-playing world i'm like yep please take every cent oh my my god so so okay we need to we need to uh this is gonna be a long episode i'm sorry (laughs) because i need to talk about both of these things (laughs) uh Let's go back to folklore fantasy. So, have you ever played the game? Uh, have you played any played any of the Witcher games? Uh, honestly, that's where I made the bridge from fantasy to folklore. Uh, okay, it, it was The Witcher Three that finally did it to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's there's a lot like that's a problematic game uh, yeah. for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Very problematic. <laughs> yeah. Also, a problematic designer. But mm. that that like the world of that game completely changed the way I want to do fantasy. Mm-hmm. I don't like the idea of like natural magic and and like the world being magical on its own without magicians mm-hmm. uh and twisting and shaping things um and like sto- the pa- also the power of story mm-hmm. uh oh my god i love it like i just love i just love the idea of like magic living and breathing magic mm-hmm in a world i i totally agree with you and like so the things that i loved about the witcher i really love the gritty historical aesthetic um all of the clothing that everybody wears is just so cool to me and like my dad is an architect so seeing all the different historical architecture styles that are really um like localized are very cool um i love the side quests because those are such perfect little folk tales uh, the one that really sticks out to me is the one that's a dude who's a werewolf and he's trying to find his wife who got lost out in the woods and his wife's sister is like, oh no, you'll never find her. And it turns out that like his wife's sister kind of led her out into the forest so that mm-hmm. she could be devoured by the werewolf guy. And yep. and I'm like, oh, that's so dark. Like yep. it makes me think of the hazards of love or like any of these other yep. modern folk tales that are just really dark. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily like a grimdark kind of guy, but no. folktales can get heavy sometimes. And I think that's mm-hmm. really amazing that they were they were stories that could do that, especially because today we think so often that like folktales were things that were told to children before they went to bed. And it's like, yeah, yeah. they were, but <laughs> that doesn't I mean they like, were pretty. I also just like the the like uh, in a lot of ways, like the, the, the like, I don't know how I don't know if there's a phrase for this, but like. um 
the moral consequences uh, like the world ha- world itself have like if you do if you do bad things bad things will happen in the world yeah. like if you put out if you like i think there's like if you um uh i put into one of my games and i can't remember what inspired it from the witcher but i put into my one of my games like if you make a cloak out of an animal you like you've killed out of sport or anger mm. there's a chance it'll be cursed okay just because nature is like hey you didn't eat that <laughs> right right i'm uh, coming for you person yeah. who made a cloak <laughs> yeah in mine it was uh it was someone who uh made a a sport of hunting wolves um and just taking their clo- their their, clo- their their pelts to make cloaks yeah and if you if you put on that cloak you would Cursed to be a werewolf. <laughs> wow, cool. Do you know uh, Drew Merzieski? He's the co-host of the Welcome to Warda podcast on the One Shot Network. Okay, I, okay, I do, I do know. Yeah. I, I don't know him, but I've we have interacted occasionally on Twitter. Right. Um, he is in Florida now, but he was in Chicago for a while, and he and I met doing theater stuff up here. And uh, uh-huh. recently, we played a game in a friend of mine's uh, indie system that's still uh, being play tested. Right now, he's calling it the Tricube Tales system. And um, basically, Drew and I sat down and we were like, we really want to tell like a fairy tale kind of story and we're going to use this to do it. And so we came up with this whole world that was like uh, geographically a quilt. And there Mm -hmm. were squares of terrain that you could like go like one step to another. You go from forest to snowy mountains or something uh, and then out to like wide plains or whatever. And Mm -hmm. we had a lot of that sort of the world is magical and it's watching you and it's paying attention and the things that you do are going to come back in one way or another. Uh, yes. Yeah. And so like, and even we had a, an element of balance in it too. So it was like, well, you know, if there's too much good in a place, then the world is going to make bad things happen to balance it out. And mm-hmm. we have to decide if we are capable of acting against that or if that will just make things even worse, you know, if we if we try to stop the bad thing from happening, will that make something even worse happen down the line because it's trying to reassert balance or whatever? Right. Um, it was a really fun little uh, game. We played a few sessions and then we we kind of moved on to other projects or whatever. But um, that's yeah. on YouTube as well. Uh, yeah. And, and then I love folklore fantasy. And then you mentioned faction mechanics, but but which I am I am a big proponent i love faction mechanics mm-hmm. but you specifically mentioned my jam which is like a home base mm-hmm. like um one of my favorite games of all times was Baldur's gate 2 specifically because at some point you can get a castle mm-hmm. and then you can spend the rest of the fucking game just doing quests for your castle mm-hmm. which is what i did yeah because fuck the story i've got a castle to run for sure right like i i loved skyrim and then when the dlc came yep. out to build <gasps> your own house i was like this yep. is everything i've ever wanted in an RPG. this is all i'm gonna do forever thanks <laughs> and like so you know i, I think D is a pretty problematic system all things considered but yeah. one of the and, and like one of the things that's problematic about it is that it's a capitalist power fantasy but mm-hmm. in the earlier editions of D, you like the progression was that eventually you would have you would be a commander and you would have troops and you would have a castle yeah. that you would control and that was sort of the natural progression of the game and yeah. i'm like you know what if you're going to be a capitalist power fantasy at least Swing for the fences and give me that castle, you know? <laughs> yeah. Give me a fucking castle. Give me a castle, you cowards. I want that back. Um, <laughs> so there's a there's a, a specific job in, in, in Hard Space Hustle called the support, mm-hmm. um, which is a, a job I put in the game for me and no one else. 
Uh, I've been very surprised that other people have been interested in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple people have, it's also been their jam, which makes me so happy because it's literally just, I'm putting this in here just in case I ever get to play this game. Mm-hmm. And it has a, it, the mechanic it adds to the game is a base building mechanic. <laughs> I saw that and I was extremely excited about it. I remember in a previous episode of Changelog, you had said something about uh, how the support is basically the bumbling sidekick who who yep. doesn't actually fight well, but manages to support anyway. And I was uh-huh. like, oh, that's a lot of fun. And then I was reading the yep. text and I was like, oh, look at this <laughs> optional mechanic that comes along with it. Let me just it's... let me just sketch out my base right now. <laughs> <laughs> the support is every like I I I I, I might play the AI, uh-huh. but uh, the support is everything I want in, in a class. <laughs> oh man, you're not kidding though. I I would absolutely play the support in a game. It'd be so much fun. And like I also am just a huge nerd for fight scenes and stuff so when i saw the master <laughs> job i was like oh that's really cool too and i saw the mm-hmm. heavy job i was like oh that's really cool but mm-hmm. the support is where it's at <laughs> sports where it's at i um a lot of this game is about like because of the source material a lot of it's about comp like fighting cool fight scenes and stuff so mm-hmm. there's a lot of that in there and i just like what do I, what do i like to do in fight scenes mm-hmm. i like to bumble around and throw people stuff for sure <laughs> Yeah, uh, and not get hit. There's so much. <laughs> there's so much potential in that, you know, and it, and it can create levity in a moment of of real heavy stuff. Like it can be a really good pressure release valve. There, there's just so much mm-hmm. you can do. I'm I'm real I'm real into it. Uh, okay, so now now we can keep going uh, uh, on what what things make an Eli game. Uh, so we've got folklore, fantasy, and faction mechanics. Yeah, I'm also just a massive labor junkie, so I almost always want to have some sort of class commentary in my games. Yeah, and those are probably the big three ingredients. Uh, and so, as you can tell, <laughs> two two of those three were pretty heavily inspired by The Witcher. <laughs> uh-huh. The Witcher doesn't let you build. Well, I guess even in uh, Blood and Wine, The Witcher does let you build your own little base. So shit, I never played Blood and Wine. Oh. Uh, God damn it! I'm gonna have to. Am I, am I gonna go fucking back and play? God damn it! Oh, well. I don't have time. Sorry, sorry, brain. not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry for this. Um, so, uh, labor junkie is is a good one. Um, I, and I'm, I'm, I've got to work more to get it more ingrained. But like, if, at, at the very core of Hard Space Hustle is anti capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, like the progression mechanics are all like like y- y- you as a player get keep getting things mm-hmm. uh because that's fun and feels good but the characters never like th- there's no they're never the ca- the system's not going to let them stop being what they are mm-hmm. they're never going to get out of this life it's designed to keep them there um and it sucks it's supposed to suck it, i mean it, it sucks as a st- it, like as a concept but i'm tra- how do you make this fun right, right. no <laughs> um I, and that's really the question too you know because i, I hear a lot of val- valid critique from people uh, especially in marginalized communities who are like hey look um cool for you making a game where you really get into the class disparities of the world but like i kind of just want to have fun in a role-playing yeah. game and if you're making me engage with stuff that mar- marginalizes me in real life maybe i'm not interested in that and so it is yeah. a question of like how do you how do you make that commentary or provide room for people to make that commentary at their own tables, but also not make it like, oh, well, you should feel really bad that this is a fact of the world, you know? Mm-hmm. I think, uh, and, and, and I think the way, because it's not the focus of it. So the focus of this game is 
a bunch of weirdos with depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it's about that. It's about your individual stories. So I think like I think focusing on the the class warfare can be a bit rough, but you could definitely like there. You can definitely have it in there. As I think, as long as you're not like promoting uh, being even then even you could even promote like your characters being shit like we've we've all played not played maybe but heard of monster hearts where you're just weird kind of shitty manipulative assholes yeah right um and that that's not a good it's not it and the game doesn't portray it as being good right um but it can be a lot of fun <laughs> it can be a lot of fun and that's the, i think that's the, the thing is if you're gonna have it be uh centered you a you have to call it out for what it is uh-huh. uh and and b uh you've got to have buy-in from everybody like mm-hmm. everybody has to want to tell this story yeah um and play these characters i just thought about talking about this i thought about one more thing that's kind of an, an eli game ingredient it's it's so yeah. sort of a second layer though like i really love okay. folklore and i really love class commentary and one way that i combine that is that i'm interested in american folklore um uh-huh. like for example over the garden wall have you seen this cartoon mm-hmm. I have yeah like you know i was like oh okay typical fantasy world and then there are turkeys and i was like yeah. oh no we know exactly where we are right now and then there yeah. are paddle steamers on the river and i'm like oh we know huh. exactly where we are right now okay okay yep. i see what's going on and so i really love this idea of and like the witch is one of my favorite horror movies ever probably my I favorite i really need to watch it <sighs> I've, I've heard nothing but good things about it and it's, i need to watch it it's so good from start to finish but like it's also a very american kind of story uh-huh. and especially because i have a, an interest in fantasy and folklore stuff that's sort of by default a medieval context and i'm interested in exploring that genre from the perspective of more american stories you know and i want to mm-hmm. i want to include a lot of what that means but i'm most interested in like historical labor struggles that are not the recorded history they're the people's history you know what i mean right yeah 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 those are that's all that's all do you have a a game uh i get uh, i guess you I, I don't know. Do you have a game that you would suggest that, that like encompasses at least some of these aspects uh, in terms of like a game that I've made or, or played like something to suggest to people? Yeah. Well, in terms of a game that I've played, I think Monster Hearts is a pretty good example of Americana. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's not tied to any particular place but this notion of shitty teens being jerks to each <laughs> other is certainly like an American high school drama waiting to happen yeah. uh it's got like you know degrassi and all sorts of stuff written all over it um my own game that i'm working on right now the it's the revised edition of the blackwood and it's a forged in the, yeah. in the dark game uh and i'm making it much more explicitly americana but it's still like you know with the serial numbers filed off yeah um i know there are games out there but i i haven't read or played them so i wouldn't know what to recommend exactly yeah, I uh, there's a a folklore game that I backed on Kickstarter that I don't have yet. That is, I I backed it because they said their major influence was over the garden wall. Is this Sleepaway? Uh, it's not Sleepaway. Okay, I don't know what, what is it is. then? Because this is new for me. So it's called the Forest Hymn and Picnic. Yeah, uh, that's by Cecil, right? Cecil Howe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's a, it's called the, the tagline is a fine and fancy RPG and a love letter to the wind in the willows, the Decemberists, and over the garden wall. And here's my thing there. Love wind of the willows. 
mm-hmm. love over the garden wall, have never listened to the Decemberist. So I guess I need to fix that. So <laughs> if you want to know exactly what this guy is talking about, like what he's designing toward, then listen to the album The Hazards of Love and maybe also listen to the song uh, The Mariner's Revenge Song. Those two are going to give you the vibe that he's going for in this game. Um, I, I haven't read this game. I'm not too familiar with it. But like based on the other things that he's recommended, that's absolutely what he's talking about there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I don't know if this is actually Americana, but those are all I guess the Wind in the Willows is an Americana. That's because I think they're all. Isn't that. I, I, I'm having trouble remembering. Aren't, aren't they British? No, uh, I can't Maybe remember. That's it's been a very long time since I've seen The Wind in the Willows. Um, um, but yeah, I will say also, you made me think of another game that is currently on Kickstarter, but like at the time of recording, there are four days left in the campaign, so I doubt it'll be going on by the time this publishes. No, this is going to come out in like three weeks. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. Four weeks. Um, but the game is called Sleepaway, and it's written by Jay Dragon, and Jay is a camp counselor, if I remember correctly. Uh-huh. Um, and this game that they wrote is... Uh, it's about a group of summer camp counselors who are guarding their their wards at night from mm-hmm. this like evil creature in the forest that is trying to steal their dreams or something and it sounds so cool and as a guy who did quite a few summer camp things when he was a kid i yeah. i want to play this game so bad <laughs> it looks so much i'm gonna have to look it up i'll probably end up backing it i back too many fucking things yeah me here's too. the thing i fucking love games me too <laughs> me too uh and I love specifically things like this, where we're talking about like sleep away and the forest him and, and picnic, uh, where, okay, so I do like bigger games. I, I, I'm a pro, I'm a pro crunchy game guy because I, I like longer form campaigns and stuff. And I like telling stories over a long period of time, but, um, I, I've, I've really been getting into games like these where you, it's telling a very specific story like it's and it's very like it, it all the support to tell that story is in the game and you don't have to make it yourself, mm-hmm. um, which is something I'm tr- trying to do with my game. I think my game might be a little too wishy washy here, but we'll see. But um, I'll, so I'll probably end up backing sleep away because even though I'll never have fucking time to play it. Right. <laughs> at least you can read it and like dream about playing it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Um, so uh, a thing I want to talk to you. Uh, there's a couple things I want to talk to you about. Uh, are did you you're a you're a cartographer. I am indeed. Yeah. Did you go? Is that like your thing, your degree or did you just decide to fucking Hey, I'm going to get real good at making maps. <laughs> <laughs> no. So um, my my degree is in philosophy and theater. So very, uh-huh. very relevant and marketable for life Obviously. in 2019. Welcome, um, welcome to the, the 20 teens yeah, where you right. can <laughs> not make money like the rest of us. <laughs> Yay. But no, like ever since I was five, anytime we went to a zoo or a theme park or anything, I would always get the map of that place. And then I I still have at my parents' house this massive paper folder that is just stuffed full to bursting with these maps. Um, I've loved maps for my entire life. And in high school, I did a lot of art stuff, uh, kind of just, you know, taking classes and doing it as a hobby. And I Mm -hmm. fell off the horse there for 10 or 15 years. But in the past few years, I've sort of gotten back involved with just drawing stuff. And I always draw top-down landscape scenes. Mm -hmm. Um, And so 
I started doing map stuff. I got like a, a tablet to draw on my computer. And mm-hmm. it turns out I don't have the kind with the screen. So I have to yeah, like, I I'm either. drawing on my desktop, but I'm looking at my screen and I'm like, oh, this is so hard. Yeah, it's very difficult. Um, it's so hard. <laughs> but then I picked up some uh, Micron pens, and I've been doing it just on a sketchbook instead, and that's actually really fun. So uh-huh. that's sort of how I did that. And I guess you would say I'm self-taught. Like, I've watched a lot of people online who are cartographers. Uh, Dyson Logos, Miska Fredman were two of the early people that I watched. But then also there's a guy, uh, there are a couple of people on on Twitter, uh, Kaora and Dark Realm Maps, who have some really cool stuff, too. And a lot of what I do in my own maps is just, you know, Frankenstein from all of those influences. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I think, like, I, it, 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 getting into this community has been very interesting to find, like, how, like, people with specific skill sets that I don't know, like, baffle me. And yours is one of them. Like, I've, <laughs> my, friend, my friend Matt is a musician, like, uh, a, uh, and, and he, do, he specifically does composing. He did the, theme song, the themes for this and a lot of other podcasts. Ah, very cool. Um, all right. And and that's a skill that just ba- like I can I can understand picking up a guitar and playing it. Yeah. But like crafting a song in a computer program <laughs> blows my mind. As soon as you get like more than one instrument part in there, I'm like, I what what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then cartography, like I I can sketch out I can sketch out a map or whatever like for visual representation. Mm-hmm. But like, uh, a making it any sort of readable for a normal human being is outside of my purview and b i like i've seen you did the the map for a horror borealis revenant mm-hmm. alaska uh, and i've seen some other things you've you like, like other maps and like the framing of a map that you've drawn and you don't just do maps you kind of make it like an art piece in itself well uh I, that's fairly new for me, and so I appreciate you <laughs> you giving me the compliment, but it's also like, oh, yeah, well, I'm going to be a lot better in a few years. Just <laughs> stick around, please. <laughs> Gonna. Um, cartography is, is like, because a, a map, like, we've all, like, looking, being able to look at a map of a region in a book just, like... Place centers it in a in reality in a way that like reading about these places doesn't. Right. Um, what? Oh, well, I was just gonna say I'm a very visual person, right? And I have yeah, I have terrible listening retention, but like reading something is all right. You know, I can yeah. I can read something and kind of get a sense for a thing. But if I see a map of a place, yeah, I know exactly what's going on in yeah. that whole place. You know, uh, it, it's such a great imaginative imaginative aid. Yeah. And just like understanding positions of things and it helps you helps you like think about how they interact with each other. Like, oh, that's actually really close to this thing. Mm -hmm. So they probably have like people here probably have opinions about people there Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. They probably have like a relationship in some way. Mm -hmm. Um, And like this is getting really far afield. Actually, not necessarily. I was going to say it's really far afield from Hard Space Hustle, but I did. uh, There's an essay online called Medieval Demographics Made Easy. And it talks about how, you know, a medieval kingdom is made up of the capital city. And then the roads get progressively worse as you go further away from that medieval city, because every settlement out that's like radiates out from that supplies that hub city. But Uh it has fewer and fewer people in it because it's further out into the trackless wilds or whatever. And, And to apply that to like a space scenario 
it's like, well, you've got your hub world, you know, and then you've got the space lanes, you've got the the space superhighway or whatever between the hub worlds and the the worlds that are orbiting that one or whatever. And then as yeah. you get further out to the end of your solar system or whatever, you're going to have more and more backwater planets. It, and and so the infrastructure between those places is going to be less well developed too, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're a truck driver, right? Yes, I am. Yeah, so I'm sure you know exactly what that's like. You know, whenever you have to go out to the boonies and you're and you're out on like a gravel road or something, it's <laughs> the worst. Yeah. Um, because I can't turn around. Right. Right. <laughs> oh, something um, else that's really cool about uh, cartography and infrastructure. I saw this map of I think it was a train line or just a line of settlements between New York City and Pittsburgh or something. Uh And it was originally all these settlements popped up because the train line ran between those two places. And so you had, you know, like for every day's leg of that train, you would have a settlement and then you could stop overnight and you could you could get a hotel or whatever. And then you could continue on your way. But then when trains kind of fell out of favor and cars came onto the scene, the distance that you could travel changed, too. And so the cities that were the right distance grew when car traffic increased and the cities that were the wrong distance starved out and died uh Mm. and like i can see that in my home state of missouri too there are a lot of places that just don't get any traffic anymore they don't even have like a grocery store or anything because all the people Mm -hmm. there are it's a stopover place right yep and the same sort of thing could happen in a space scenario you know as your space travel technology gets more and more advanced some planets are all of a sudden going to be like well we don't really need this as a stopping point anymore and it doesn't have any resources so these people are basically we're just going to say screw them that's okay so that actually kind of uh that kind of like that's that's interesting so uh, earth is already kind of like that like that we could terraform it uh because they have the technology to terraform but they have they terraformed mars and a few other solid rocks um but there's nothing left there to mine uh, like for resources so yeah. they like it's only people who are like earthers who are like oh earth's the homeland we need to take care of it mm-hmm. that are that are and there's no money in it so they're not doing it yeah um have you read but, um the long way to a small angry planet uh, okay yes uh, uh, and 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 its sequel uh i haven't read the third one I love. I absolutely love those two. That series of books and it's that world. It's so good. It's. Uh, it remind. It, it makes me. Becky think Becky Chambers, of, like, right? Or Chambers? I, uh, yeah. I. I couldn't tell you the title of the or the name of the author to save my life. But um, I loved that book. It reminded me of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but in a way more. Yeah, a little more wholesome <laughs> kind of way. Yeah, and a way more like kind of queer and found family kind of way. Um, yeah, love that book. And as soon as you said, you know, Earth isn't really an important place, and the only people who are there are Earthers, I was like, oh, just like Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. Um, yeah. yeah, so good job there. You, that's a that's a I, wonderful reference for this game. Everybody, everybody, read the Wayfarer series. I need to read Record of a Spaceborn Few because I feel like that that would be. It's also about a group of like people trying to make their way in a flotilla. I think almost. is that the third one in the series? That's the or third is that one. A, okay, because I know there's a second one, but I didn't know until just now that there's a third one. So that's super exciting. Okay, so the second one is a closed and common orbit. You have you not read that? No, no, I really want to, but I just haven't okay. made the time. That I, okay, so I, I I I think a long way to a small angry planet is much more. A closing common orbit is great. It's it's two different stories from two different times, though characters play between the two timelines. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's 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 even. 
I don't. Oh God, I just just read. Everybody read these these books because they're so amazing <laughs> and also like inclusive and stuff. Like there's there's uh uh characters like main characters that use uh gender neutral pronouns and uh there's there's like uh uh a, there's queer couples and trans people and it's like so cool. it's just. Uh, and, and the way they like not all like aliens aren't necessarily humanoidish mm-hmm. uh and, and there are still like relationships between the, them and humans and um i don't know i i always like non-fuckable aliens like <laughs> like aliens that are designed to, to not arouse straight white men right right uh, it's just like it's just not and, gonna work yeah and if you it, but but to fu- uh, fucking make them romanceable and i'm gonna uh-huh right right uh, well and just, one of the things i love about the book too is that and i say this as a guy who loves a good fight scene but uh-huh. i love how the book handles violence it it mm-hmm. it posits a future where the overarching culture really doesn't use violence uh, not physical violence anyway. There's certainly economic marginalization that yeah. goes on. But like people are really uncomfortable with a gun. As soon as a gun shows up, people yeah. are like, whoa, where did you even get that? Yeah. And I think that's really cool. And and it really sorts, sort of reinforces the, the wholesomeness of the story uh, in a really fun way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh- Fuck, just th- welcome to the Wayfair podcast. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, no kidding. I'm so glad you've read it. I don't know anybody else who has, so that's that's awesome. It's it's legitimately one of my favorite things. I didn't think about those influencing my design, but they de- now that I, now that you've brought them up, I de- they definitely have for sure. A um, bunch of depressed people going through space together. That's that's yeah, absolutely. Who would, who would... <laughs> um. Need to add those to the touchstone. <laughs> uh, okay, so the other thing we need to talk about before before I start to uh, annoy you with my game design uh, is, and this is actually a topic that I, I I'm very interested in because it's a thing I'm trying to like make it make more interesting or more fluid in my game, which is uh, combat scenes and mechanics, mm-hmm. uh, which is obviously very important in the game you're designing because it's a, a, a wuxia and kung fu. Uh, game mm-hmm. uh but how do you how do you like to frame those you know I, i'm gonna kind of cop out here so we had an interview with an author named fonda lee on uh jong hu hustle she wrote uh actually the second book just came out but she's she's writing a trilogy called the jade trilogy uh-huh. and the first one is jade city it takes place in sort of like an anachronistic 1980s sort of vibe uh in a in what would be like a pacific island but it's not quite earth um Mm -hmm. and basically it's a it's an island that recently cast off its colonial shackles and Mm -hmm. that is all thanks to these two warrior societies who lived out in the wilderness uh and they they would train to use magical jade to give themselves basically like kung fu magic powers right right and uh she is a martial artist herself and most of the books that she's written are some way or another about violence and her mantra or whatever when she's writing a fight scene is that it has to be both surprising and inevitable and it has to be like the culmination of character personalities and it has to drive the story forward and so when i think about fight scenes 
you said earlier that like you love a good crunchy game and i am right there with you there like some tactical fight games are so much fun right yeah but so often they kind of ignore the personal stakes that happen during a fight uh you don't invoke your character personality hang-ups or your your traits or whatever when you are in a moment of violence. And that, I think, is the real potential of fighting games in this new era of game design that we're in. Yeah. Um, so I want to, as much as possible, have those really tactical, meaty options, but I want all of them to refer back to who the characters are, what they mm-hmm. want from this fight, and then what happens after they get it. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, I'm trying to think of games that really do a good job of that. And it's interesting because you've got a lot of games that are just like, well, I'm a tactical combat simulator. Yeah. And you've got a lot of games that are like the ethics or the the personalities of violence are so fraught that I don't even want to touch it. And I haven't right. seen a game yet that really does a great job of combining the two of them. Um, mm-hmm. And that's what I'm trying to do with this with this Wuxia game we're working on. Uh it's surprisingly difficult. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm trying to think, because I, I have a similar philosophy with how I want to do fights in. So, so uh, Hard Space Hustle has, uh, like, in, in the source material, fights are really fun and cool. And there's, like, th- we see these characters be hyper-competent. But that's not actually what the story is about. Right. Um, violence is just a part of their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and what the, the story is really about is how they handle life and, and like their past and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way I'm trying to reflect that in this game is fights, fights are supposed to be like a round or two or maybe three. They're mm-hmm. supposed to be very fast. Uh, 15, 20 minutes. Um, I haven't got them down that we're, we're working on it. I'm trying to get them shorter and shorter as I can. <laughs> um, but they're supposed to be very fast and mess, mess people up. And then, like the only way to recover from them uh is is to talk like mm. the, the the healing mechanic i talked about in the last episode the healing mechanic is talking about your shit um i love but that but the, the the main point of a combat in in hard space hustle is uh to to try to get you to mark your weights for mm. the bonuses to get to get the bonuses to 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 fight fight good uh, and then the only way to unmark those is to talk about them. So fights, I, I, like I'm trying to make it less about, hey, cool fight scene and more about like, hey, um, I, I wonder and I wonder if that's actually now that, now that we're talking, I'm, I'm just game designing on the fly here. I'm yeah. wondering if like I have a third weight that's supposed to be like whatever you're dealing with at the moment. But I wonder if I if I should just make that third weight something you have to make up in the moment that's 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 like affecting you from that fight yeah that could be good because the idea is that if you're in if you're in a fight with somebody um you're you're gonna have a hard time of it it's it's a fraught situation right you could die (laughs) yeah like i teach i teach self-defense and living in chicago there have been a few times in my life when i've been in sort of a a hairy situation right Uh and every time i'm like i think to myself I'm pretty trained. I'm pretty confident that I can like come out of this situation unharmed if I need to. But still, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit! Somebody's getting in my face. What's yeah. happening? Oh, I'm very scared right now. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's 
And that's something that you don't think of even when you're training for this sort of situation. But then you get mm-hmm. in the situation and you're like, oh, man, this is this is tough. Yeah. And so having that sort of emergent weight or just an inherent weight in the facts of violence makes a lot uh-huh. of sense to me, too. That's a really cool idea. And not not to get I won't get too deep into it because no one wants to hear about my weird. I, but as a as a, a, a youth, uh, violence was a, a, a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like. Like peer on peer violence, not just like I'm not like a lot of fights. I got in a lot of fights as a child. I was a weird, I was a weirdo, <laughs> and and either like varying differences of small and or fat or and also just weird. <laughs> like I was, I was just, uh, but I got in a lot of fights. And even when, like, I got to the point where I could defend myself properly, um, honestly, like the fallout of a fight was way worse than the actual fight oh, like for sure. even if they never actually landed a hit on me um like j- just the the hit of adrenaline the mm-hmm. fear because i'm always i'm not i'm not a badass by no. any means i am a me, me i fight neither. because i'm scared yeah, <laughs> yeah <ditto. laughs> uh, and 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 they're faster than me so i can't run away <laughs> right <laughs> uh, but um like honestly like there's a time where like just dealing with the emotions of having brutalized someone with my hands mm-hmm. uh was worse than getting beat up right uh and i think that's an interesting thing to explore yeah like the power dynamic of of winning out over someone in a physical encounter like that sucks yeah <laughs> it's like yeah. you didn't want to be in that situation and now here you are and mm-hmm. oh now you got to grapple with the consequences of it and that's a bummer yeah it just does, it doesn't feel good. <laughs> yeah, it uh, doesn't. And that's another thing that I think A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet does really well. Because in the few moments yeah. of violence afterward, they really explore how they feel about that and, mm-hmm. and how that affected them. Um, and, I, and that's one way, I, that's one reason why, like, you know, getting rid of the weights afterward, talking about your feelings. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think, I think I'm going to, I'm at, you all just heard game design happen. this is game design just well that was an idea <laughs> Ta-da! Uh, gosh i like that a lot um okay uh so unless you have anything else you'd like to talk we're going to move into actual change log now yeah that sounds great all right now uh there, there's not there should hopefully this will go by fast and i won't i won't keep it too long because not a whole lot of changes um or no not a whole lot of big ones that we need to like go into deep deep mm-hmm. deep deep conversations about i think uh okay so i lied to everybody last change log and i'm lying to them in this change log uh <laughs> i might lie to them it might because i'm gonna try to get this done before this episode comes out but i'm i've been trying to find a way to do and they will have heard my idea in the, the last play test um, of changing weapon and disposition boons and fumbles to be more narrative prompts than mechanical prompts. Um, because I'm, I'm not making a tactical combat simulator. I'm making an action game. Mm-hmm. A- an action game, like, I'm making a game about found families with actions in, in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I don't need a tactical simulation. And honestly, like, boons and fumbles were just clogging things up a bit with their weird tiny mechanical bumps um and i'm not especially good at it this is my first major game so maybe mm-hmm. someday i'll make a game that can do this but I, and I was like, but I, i'm hitting a major wall thinking of how to do that 
in an interesting way. So that might not actually be in this update. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, I came up with uh, my first progression mechanic because uh, we're getting close to getting into beta. And, uh, you know, to get to beta, I need to have... I need to at least have all the the bits and bobs and mechanics in the game, and then you can I can, I can fiddle with them in beta, but I need them in there. Um, so I've started to think about progression, uh, and and part of that is that at even levels, I'm going to have a, a, a mechanic called skill competency, um, which is so it, it all. Uh, if you've ever played a game, uh, and I, ha- I find this a lot with like D20 games and D and D in particular, is you're supposed to be good at a thing, right? And then you roll really low repeatedly <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah that's one reason why i don't like the d20 yeah i hate the oh thank thank you where i'm just i'm starting a, 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 a club of people who hate the d20 and mm-hmm. you're in it now congrats <laughs> thanks Glad i to be here. do not like the d20 like uh i think james damato is the one who was talking about it on twitter um the d20 is very aesthetically pleasing to look at and roll mm-hmm uh, but I, I, I just don't like it. I don't like it in my games. I, I don't mind it coming with my dice so I can, you know, look at it over there. Sure. But yeah. Put I don't want to roll it. <laughs> I <don't, laughs> yeah. Put it behind a glass. Um, so skill competency is my answer to that, because uh, this is still pretty, a pretty swingy game. Like uh, there's not a, there's not a real bell curve. There is on skills because you roll skill and attributes and add them together. So there's kind of a bell curve on that, but on outcome, you just roll whatever die is in your outcome and that you could just fucking roll a one repeatedly. (laughs) Even if you have a D12 in it, you could roll a one a lot. So skill competency is, uh, if you at at level two and four, you pick a skill and you mark it as your competent skill. And if you roll under the half of the maximum on your outcome die, you count it as if you've rolled half. So you're never you're never going to even on a failure you're never going to have the worst possible outcome. Mm. Like you you always know you're going to have a baseline competency in it basically. Sure. Uh, and with the mechanic I'm going to talk about next, there's a good chance if if you're going to have half on the outcome, you can push that into a success anyways. Um, especially since you're probably putting skill competencies in skills you are already increasing. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that, you know, so so the mechanic is you roll and if it's under half of the die value, then you just count it as if it was half. Right. So okay. if you if you roll a d12 and, and you get a three, that's actually a six. Okay, cool, <laughs> cool, cool. What are like, what are your target numbers or whatever when you're when you're rolling these dice? Uh, if you roll, if you roll, if you succeed uh, on your skill and attribute versus the difficulty on your outcome, a uh, a one means you succeed, but the GM gets to ask for a major concession. Okay. Um, the concession mechanic is the main uh, resolution mechanic in this thing, where uh, basically whoever, whoever, uh, whoever, like if you fail, you can get a concession, or if you succeed, I can get a concession as the GM, where like we, we, we help build a narrative together um, of, of what happens. But so a one is you succeed, but I get a major concession, which is something that's going to have a lot of fallout. Uh, it, on a two to five, uh, I get a minor concession, which is something that in the moment can be problem can be a problem, but isn't going to have any lasting effect on the story or session. Um, and then a six, uh, six to nine is an outright success. It's the only one that doesn't have a concession on it. Uh, you just succeed. Congratulations. Yeah. Uh, and then a ten plus is you succeed and you get a minor concession. So you succeed and you get to ask for something but extra in the moment. Um, 
And on the flip side, on the failure side of that, a one is you fail and I get a major concession. So it's a bad failure. Like you're not going to do what you set out to do and something major is going to change because of it. There's going to be a major consequence gotcha. to your failure. Okay. <clears throat> so and, and like so if you're rolling a if you're rolling a d12 you can get up into those higher numbers but like if your die is yep. a d4 or a d6 or something then it's going to be a lot yep. harder to get those full successes then right uh cool. which is uh, a part of uh so that that rolls us into the next uh change i made uh in the last update i made it to where the skill die was a flex die you can you could you could add it to either your uh, skill to help you succeed or to your outcome to help uh, boost that number up to get a better success or a or less worse failure. Um, and that led to a lot of like latency in rolling because instead of being able to roll both of them at the same time, you've got to like, uh, well, I've, I've rolled this to see if I succeed. And then if I don't, oh, I guess I got to roll skill to add to that to make sure I succeed. Yeah. Uh, so it really slowed things down a lot. And I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. And so I was thinking about, but I, I still wanted like, if if you roll really high on your attribute and skill, you don't get any you like otherwise you don't get any bonus for it on your outcome and that was weird. Um but I have another mechanic called the push yourself mechanic which is where uh you could take stress equal to the difference between what you rolled and the maximum on your outcome die and increase your outcome to the maximum. So you you cause yourself stress or damage by pushing yourself but you get a better outcome. Uh, and cool. that was also like I'm oh, sorry uh, very cool, I said. Okay. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so, um, but that was also like another step of math. Of people, like, it, I, I was having trouble wording it in a way that people would understand the first time through. Um, and I'm like, oh, you know what? I can just fucking mush these two mechanics together. So, you, st- like, you still roll all your dice at once. And, and you automatically apply your skill to your attribute to help you succeed. So you roll your your attribute plus your skill versus the difficulty dice. Um, and if it's higher, you succeed. Um, but then you can push yourself and apply your skill die outcome, your skill, your skill roll to your outcome by taking stress or damage equal to what's on your skill die. So you don't have to do any math. You don't have to subtract or add or anything. It's just the, the number that's on your skill die is how much damage or stress you take to add it to your outcome, to boost up that, that outcome number. Okay. Um, and the idea here is it gives you a little more agency over how the outcome, like the outcome of your role. Um, and also means that my adversaries don't have to be badasses because you're probably going to push, you're probably going to push yourself to be competent, um, which will get those, that stress and damage up, which will make you have to have to have a quiet moment afterwards to talk and, and, and recover. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was uh, uh, really my jam. Absolutely, yeah. It's almost like you know the the players become their own worst enemies. Not the characters, but the players become yeah. their own obstacles. Yeah, I like that. Uh, so so yeah, that that that's I'm trying to get. So this is this is what I was talking about earlier when I was like, you're smart for hacking systems instead of trying to make your own because <laughs> I'm not a I'm not a math person or a statistics person. Um, and and like most of the problems I've had is trying to get my dice mechanic to something that is both easy to explain and fulfilling to roll. Yeah. Um, 
a big part of the problem here is my personal preference is a handful of dice mm-hmm. <laughs> and all the dice. So it's easy to like, there's some really good systems that just use D sixes and it's a very good idea because everybody has D sixes. Everybody looks at D six and understands what that is. Yeah. Um, but there's something. And I think it's just all the years of playing final Fan- uh, fantasy flight games, star Wars mm-hmm. of just like a handful of different size dice and just, throw them (laughs) for sure well and you know like i said i designed originally for savage worlds and uh i really love the the way that they model increasing competency by increasing the die type of of your attributes and skills there um that's really which is also what this does and i didn't realize that savage world does because every time i say it someone was like oh savage worlds Mm. i'm like yeah i guess i actually stole it from ryutama (laughs) Uh, okay yeah that works too uh yeah but uh, yeah so i i think i would like savage worlds a lot i just i don't i've never actually played it uh-huh <laughs> uh, it's fun i like it it's it's definitely a trad game and it's like a crunchier game but yeah it sounds like you like crunchy games so it could be something that's really up your alley yeah uh i'll have to i'll i might i might end up looking into it uh i can add it to my list of games i'll never get to play yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> um okay so back on progression, uh, I've removed changing jobs. Mm, okay. Uh, for for one, uh, it, it, I think it, it's just so much about this. Is, so originally, you wouldn't get the job ability from a job you transferred into. You only get the job ability from the first job, and that's because the job ability fundamentally changes how you interact with the game, or should if it, if I've done it right. Um, and you, you will play the game differently than someone with a different job ability. Uh, a lot of them change the core mechanic or uh, like with the AI, it's like it separates you into a bunch of like you're not one person. You're a bunch mm-hmm. of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and taking that job as a human would be strange. Whereas you could take the uh, special abilities from that job and just be able to remote pilot drones. Right. Um, so that was the idea. Uh, but it, it's. I realized like I'm not playing it. I'm not, I put that in the game for, for, uh, longevity of, of campaigns. Mm-hmm. And that's not really the kind of game that I'm trying to make. I'm trying like all of the, the source material are pretty short, like one to two season long game, uh, stories. Sure. Um, and I feel like if, if the, if the thrust of this game is actually getting to know your characters and seeing how they interact with each other and the world and telling their story, um, this isn't an epic fantasy game. Like it's not, um, an exploration game. It's the, 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 the things you're exploring are yourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like it might be sorry. kind of rowdy or jarring in that way too you know i think about my all-time favorite movie is the wachowski uh sisters speed racer adaptation Mm -hmm. and i love like at the end of that movie when he crosses that final finish line his car is a smoking wreck right (laughs) and he like careens into the finish line and the car breaks down at that moment and it will never drive again And, and that's like that's so satisfying to me. He left it all out there on the track, you know, and like, yeah. it sounds like this is something that could happen in this game as well. You know, yeah. you're, you're, you're playing fast and hard and you're not telling a long story. You're telling an intense story. Right. Um, 
And so I, I, yes, I, that's a, you're, you've said it exactly. That's, that's what I'm trying for. Mm -hmm. So the idea of like adding in mechanics to, to artificially stretch out how long it can, because you pick when you level up, like it's, it's a mission, it's a, it's completing a, it's a completing a mission reward you can pick, uh, amongst a bunch of other mission rewards, uh, like getting mementos or, or, uh, working on your vehicles or having a beach episode. Um, so you kind of like, you're controlling the acceleration pedal on how fast you hit cap level. Um, so if you want a longer game, just tease out those, those level ups a little, little further. Yeah. Um, and also like, uh, it's not going in this one, but I, I don't mind talking about it. Um, I, but I'm going to change it to where leveling up and doing a vehicle upgrade, uh, choice is the next mission like you don't just level up we're gonna go see what you do to get better yeah uh, as characters uh and it's gonna change that setting that's uh, sorry that session you're gonna play it differently it's gonna be like a like a beach episode has slightly different uh so beach episodes um i have I'm, i haven't put them in yet but i know how they're gonna work and it's just gonna be very uh pared down mechanics uh because it's supposed to be a light-hearted thing where you're 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 uh having fun as your characters rather than dealing with heavy bullshit uh and like have, taking time to decompress uh so i think it's gonna be it's gonna be like that there are gonna be a di you're gonna play those sessions a little differently than you would a normal go out and do a job mission um and so like it, even if you leveled up every other you even if you picked up level up every time it was an option that's still 10 sessions at least or 10 missions altogether. Cause you don't, you don't necessarily finish a, a mission in a session, which I feel like is a pretty good campaign. Oh yeah, for sure. 10 sessions is, is a real sweet spot for me anyway. Um, yeah. I, I know there are folks, Quinn Wilson is an example. Uh, they yeah. really love to have long sessions, like playing for years and years. And yeah, I have always kind of dreamed about a game like that. But when I play a game, I get to the point where I'm like, okay, let's wrap up this mm -hmm. story. <laughs> so, so I'm, I'm definitely a, a, a closer to your end on that one, mm -hmm. but I do like longer stories. Uh, and the, I'm trying to get a group together to do specifically this, where we rotate GMs and stuff. Oh, yeah. um, and th I, I like doing quote unquote seasons of games. Mm -hmm. uh, like I'll play eight to 12 sessions of a game. And then, like, that's one arc. We're done, and, and it's got a, a satisfying conclusion to it. And if yeah. we never go back to it, that's fine. Let's mm -hmm. go play another game, because I want to play a bunch of different games. I love games. I want to play different games. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I want to meet new characters. Um, and so, like, 8 to 12 sessions is a, a pretty satisfying game for me and then if we realize we still want to tell more stories with those characters and in that world, we can just go back to it later totally yeah i mean just because you've wrapped up an arc doesn't mean that there's no more story potential with those characters right yeah uh um and i like the idea of having a session dedicated to what happens when you level up like you hit a certain threshold and it's like okay i've unlocked this scene type but it's really more like a session type yeah um that's really fun in jung hu hustle the rpg we're working on is uh one where advancement is tied to training montages and so you have yes. to like fulfill the circumstances <laughs> yeah right yeah, i'm very excited oh, about so it much. but you have to like fulfill the circumstances to be eligible for a training montage and usually that has to do with like you know fulfilling a narrative goal or 
reaching a moment of crisis or which might be, you know, like facing off against an enemy that you realize you just can't defeat. And so then you have a training montage where either for a session or a a scene or whatever, you Mm -hmm. show us what you're doing to overcome that obstacle. And then you go back and you, you try again. I absolutely love that. I love Mm -hmm. that so much. Um, And I think there's a way, I think that like you said, like specifically a, a, a villain or something. Uh, But I love the idea of like taking that to even. So a thing that I always hate in in old school D and D and stuff is someone fails at picking a lock or Mm -hmm. fails at a perception check. Mm -hmm. Um, And then just, someone else tries like oh well we'll all just take turns trying until this is done or i'll just ro- keep rolling until it's done mm-hmm. which is part part of why failing in this game there's there's no option for you fail mm-hmm. there's it's always there's someone asks someone gets a concession damn it where mm-hmm. something is happening every time you roll the goddamn dice <laughs> um so that's always that's always something i hated but i i love the idea of like if you fail at something like tell us how you get better at it (laughs) yeah and you know like thinking about it in terms of different scene types if it's a violent enemy that you're trying to defeat then it would be a training montage but if it's like you tried to flirt with that person that you've got a crush on and they turned you Mm -hmm. down well then what you do is you go on a montage where you're like learning who that person is you can't see but i'm bouncing in my chair and (laughs) and you get like you get like a makeover and you buy flowers and stuff like that then you go back and it's like oh well let me try again to win Ah. your heart or like (laughs) or like you know you can't pick a lock and so it's like oh well show us how everybody in the group conspires to build like a rube goldberg machine to get through the door you know it's like yeah i love that so much yeah that's 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 rad and that that would also be a pretty fast and interesting way to do it too Uh uh-huh yeah, uh, and it's like, okay, well, uh, you failed. Okay, well, let's just talk about how we get over it. And let's make sure that it's a fun moment for us here in the game. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that a lot. Um, ah, games are good sometimes. <laughs> G- games are good sometimes. <laughs> uh, okay, we're we're in the home stretch here. Uh, so we talk a lot about weights because I think weight weights have very quickly become the cent. It's funny because at the beginning of this, they it was called concessions and they were a very minor part of the game. It was just like a thing you you spend. I think I called them fate points at the beginning mm-hmm. on. Um, but now they've become very center mechanic uh, to the game, and I, I'm having trouble. I've been having trouble incorporating them in a way that a makes sense. Same with dice. It's a dice mechanic, so it's I'm having the same fucking problem I am with skills and stuff. Mm-hmm. Is I need it to make sense, and I need to have low latency, and I need it to feel good. Um, and so I think this one. I think this. I'm crossing my fingers. This one might be the one uh, <laughs> because it also helps center them in the narrative and what people are interested in at the table. Uh, which is so by default you have two weights the first the first major one being why you don't fit into normal society why do you why are you living this very dangerous and outcast life mm-hmm. um the second one is has to do with your found family generally it's something and it's either why you stay with them or what you don't like about them mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's something that, that stresses you out um or something that's weighing on you uh and then the, the third one which we've discussed uh, I, I've put it. It just it's uh, how fucked up did that fight make you? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, so, so the, the first the two are kind of static. Yeah, you can't. So there's no like mechanic for getting rid of them, um, and and that shouldn't be a focus. But if if at any point throughout the the narrative your character is no longer 
if you've resolved that to a point where it's no longer a, a first and foremost thing in your character's life, you can just erase it and make up a new one. Very um, cool. Because it's 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 less about what the baggage is and more that you have baggage. Because that's what we're exploring. Mm-hmm. Um. So at the beginning of each mission, and it might be session, I haven't decided. Um, the group kind of decides what weight is most interesting to them for each character. And then they assign that a D12. And then you pick which weight is more interesting to you uh, from the remainers, remaining, remaining two, and assign that a D10. And then if you have a third one, like if you haven't resolved your feelings from the fight and you have a third one, whatever the third, whatever one hasn't been picked yet, um, is a D six. Cause we skipped D eights. Um, and then when you mark, and that, that means that the ones that are more interesting to people are ones you're probably going to mark first because they give you a better bonus. Um, and, w- and when you mark them, you roll three of those dice. So if it's a D 12 weight, you roll three D 12 before or after your roll it's up to you and then you can just replace any die in in the die pool with what you rolled from your d10s so okay so you roll those like at the beginning of of x the mission or the session or whatever and then you keep those set aside and you can add those to your pool at any time during the game uh motherfucker is that how that works or no it wasn't how it works but that's way fucking better (laughs) (laughs) well you're welcome you can have (laughs) one yeah i kind of like that like you can mark the weight to just pull a couple of those out if you need them um man (laughs) sorry to make you change it again i mean i guess you don't have to but (laughs) no i I, i'll have to think about it but i think i like that a lot more actually (laughs) because it also slows down slows things down less because you don't have to like roll them and you also know what they are so you can you can weigh if you want to oh but then you might grab ones from lower things because you already know what those are right and they might be higher so you won't mark the higher one i'll have to think about it yeah, that's well, a very uh, good idea, though. <laughs> another downside yeah, to that sort of thing is that, like, if you're rolling dice and setting them aside, you need that many dice, that many more dice in front of you for the session. And like, right. one of the things that I'm always interested in in game design is accessibility. And so, like, nah. games that have huge dice pools, you have to buy yeah. a huge amount of dice to be able to play them. You know, and like, there are pros and cons to that. They're a lot of fun, but it is a little exclusive. So it it yeah. just depends. I uh, that's definitely a thing. So. In order to roll, the, the good thing about this one is you don't actually have to roll them all at once. You just can. Um, and it's more fun for me. But if you're going to roll them all at once, you probably need three different sets of dice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is a lot of fucking dice to just have at the table. And you're right, like having them off to the side. Plus, what if you bump them? So you'll basically end up having to write them down and then erase them, which is a. Uh, but it's definitely a. I might have to think about that, though. Um, sure. Uh, anyways, so the idea is you can you can you can replace even the difficulty dice with that. So yeah, maybe you rolled like a one on one of your d12s for your weight. Just swap that out with one of the difficulty dice that rolled higher than a one, mm-hmm. uh, and that still counts as long as there are still the same amount of dice in your I- I- at the end of the 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 swap. Um, so it's always a benefit, at, at least a little bit. Um, uh so and and hope like that's easy you don't have to you don't have to roll your entire dice pool again so you lose things you don't have to have another set of dice to fucking roll them like you could just you could just roll them and it's fine uh so we'll we'll see we'll hopefully that's okay no that sounds (laughs) good 
a lot of a lot of this game has been like uh the biggest part of biggest problem with game design for me has been things making sense in my head and then not making any sense to other people mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> uh okay and finally uh there used to be two lists for major concessions and minor concessions and I've just picked the cooler options from both of those and mushed them together into one list and then explained that if it's a minor concession, this should, this should, you should, you should make it a, a, like you should hint at a problem or make it a minor problem that they can, um, f- fix in their next, it, it should affect their next role or someone should be able to overcome it with one role. And then if it's a major concession, you just bump that up. So like if it says someone gets injured, uh, a minor concession means you might get like, uh, a, a sprained wrist or something, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a major concession, you break your arm. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, you, you got to take a little time to recover from that. That makes sense. Yeah, uh, it's going to affect the rest of this mission at least, or maybe not the rest. Like, because it's not always going to be you, you, you're not always going to pick injured or something, so maybe it won't. But the point is, it's going to have fallout after this fight, um, sure. and that's basically it. It sounds I like said a, it was, a bunch of good I, updates. I said it wasn't going to take long, and then it took forever. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out game design is complicated, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, that brings us into our closing, uh, and possibly one of my favorite parts of, of this podcast. Yeah. Which is, I have this handy-dandy uh, uh, crown, and I'm going to uh, place it atop your brow, and, and congratulations... You're now the monarch of all games. Oh my god, it's a perfect fit. This crown is so comfortable. It's yeah, it's a snapback. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> uh, you you get to have this long enough to make one decree. I'm sorry, I would. You seem like a very nice person, and you would make a great monarch. But if you keep it too long, someone will assassinate you. So just for I, your safety, you get to make one decree, and then I'm gonna take it back real quick. I appreciate so, you looking out for me in this way. <laughs> I don't want to be assassinated. (laughs) Good. I don't want you to be assassinated either. That'd be a terrible (laughs) end of this podcast. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) But now you have any decree, whatever decree you're about to say, uh, uh, everybody's legally required to follow in the game design community now. So what do you want to use this power for, Eli? Oh, man. Um, I hereby decree... Uh, <laughs> I want everyone to think about the conversations they have online, especially on social media, as a game design. And I want them to be intentional about the experience they're trying to create when they have those conversations. Mm-hmm. I want, like, I think a lot of the problem of social media interaction is that people aren't on the same page about their personalities and about their goals and about Mm -hmm. the way they converse with each other. And I just think if people spent more time thinking, what am I presenting right now? What experience Mm -hmm. am I cultivating in this conversation? We would have much better conversations online. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I want to talk about it more, but again, got to take that fucking crown off your head okay, before yeah, someone yeah, fucking yeah. just no. jumps out of the bushes. Please, uh, I, I saw that. somebody rustling around, so I'm very glad. Yeah, it's fucking. Not have the crown they're on. fast. <laughs> oh man, um, what a relief! This is something personal to me. Uh, I am, uh, I'm a big baby, uh, <laughs> and I take things 
way too seriously sometimes mm-hmm. and uh i if if it's if i interact with someone on twitter i sometimes give them more weight than i probably should i um also just kind of take everything in i realize that like my walls have two options on and off <laughs> uh and so either i i'm just not engaged with anything and i hold myself up in a room or I just like let everything affect me emotionally, which yeah. is very unhealthy. But right. a thing that I've always tried to to do myself, and it's a way, it's a philosophy I've I've trying to think about a way to explain to other people is um, so a lot of times in in conversations uh, about touchy subjects, they'll say like intent doesn't uh, really matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's true because you can do someone's harm, someone harm, even if you're not intending to. And, and so I get that one. Uh, but I do like to say, I like to think of like, what is my purpose having this conversation? Is my purpose to convince someone about something? Is my purpose to, um, empathize with someone? Is my purpose to, to affect change? And then am I doing that? Mm-hmm. So like, it is the, is the way I'm tell, talking to people getting them to listen to me or is it getting them to fight me on things? And if, right. it's, if my intent is not to get them to fight me, I, have, I need to think of a different way to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, I think of it in terms of like, okay, well, what's my intent here, like you said? And then it's like, yeah. well, what's my action? Like I've been doing a lot of Forge in the Dark type stuff lately. So it's like, am I trying to wreck this person? Am I trying to sway this person? Am yeah. I trying to survey this person right now? Like what, what, is my, what is my action that I'm actually performing in this conversation? And then it's like, oh, well, you know, like you said, intent doesn't matter. And I agree with you. I think it's good to have good intentions, but... Uh-huh people can receive those however they're going to receive them and Mm -hmm. only familiarity with the person you're talking to is going to help you understand how they might receive something that you say but that's why like a content tool like an apology goes a long way (laughs) and having (laughs) having like a thorough understanding of how to apologize you reflect you understand what you did wrong you say what Mm -hmm. you did wrong you say you won't do it again and you Mm -hmm. offer some sort of reparations you know like these are don't do it wrong again if you can't and like that's a sub mechanic in this conversation game design (laughs) that i'm talking about you know and like yes and and i i just want people to like i want people to think about the design of their conversation when they have a conversation or like their conduct in a conversation you know i think i think that would really do a lot to improve the quality of conversations that happen online because i can get my feelings hurt for sure right yeah i I, it it can feel really crummy sometimes to be on social media and to like just get totally have your shit rocked by somebody and it's like, ah, oh, man, well, but like, okay, what did I do wrong here? Where did my design fail? And how can I improve that design? Right. Yeah. I, I, could, I couldn't agree more. That <laughs> I always feel weird about this because I don't want to tell people not to like. There are certain times where the, the, it's, not, it's not about the person you're interacting with. It's about you. Mm-hmm. And you're just getting things out there, raising awareness even. And that's 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 one thing, and I understand that. But yeah, I think I'm not equipped. I'm not equipped to talk about this as as an expert of anything. I only have feelings. But yeah, I think focusing more on what we want to get out of these interactions would do a lot to to further our goals. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least just being aware. Just be aware of what 
is what you're trying to do. And that's hard. I So I have a problem being, I can get very defensive. Um, it, it's something I've had to work on a lot. Uh, and, and But it's, it's the thing that we all struggle with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this, Eli. I'm very emotional and I'm not making a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> I get it, man. I, uh, I, my, my emotions can get the better of me often. And it's, it, it, it's, it's a tough situation because I also know that like, you know, a lot of people have been hurt by different things and like, it can yeah. be difficult to have that clarity in a moment when you're having a conversation and you're talking about something that has hurt you. And, and I think I want to say like in my utopia, that just becomes part of the game design of the conversation, you know, and like the people who not the people who are traumatized, but the people who are talking to the traumatized right. need to factor that into their design conversation yes. uh, or their conversation design. They need to they need to have sensitivity toward that sort of thing and offer yes. support for that sort of thing. Um, but boy, we are a ways off from that, unfortunately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there, there's there's there there is value in talking about a utopian solution to things though mm-hmm. uh, yeah. like having a goalpost um man that's a it's that was a very good decree i'm glad you didn't get assassinated <laughs> yeah. Likewise. Uh, and and thank you so so much for coming on this has been lovely i've kept you uh 40 minutes longer than i meant to <laughs> that's okay Uh, it's been good chatting with you though it was really fun i've enjoyed listening to the podcast and it's been nice to be a guest on it so thank you so much thank you test complete thanks for listening so so where can people find you and and what what of your projects would you like people to look up yeah so um my most likely point of contact is going to be twitter i'm at zap dynamic over there it's the name of my very first role-playing game character it's yeah. uh, <laughs> a very good name. He was a swashbuckler in 3.5. Yeah. He was quite a guy. Um, but yeah, you can find me there on Twitter. I have a website, mythicgazetteer.com. I am the uh, head honcho of the Mythic Gazetteer, and we publish role-playing games. Uh, the biggest one right now is the Blackwood Errantry Codex for Savage Worlds. Uh, we're also working with Eric Farmer on a podcast, Jonghu Hustle, where we are, you know, I sort of described that already, but we're working on a Wuxia RPG as a result of that. And so listening to us uh, can really help us get that done. So uh, those are the big two, I think. I'm also on Itch, but I that's like just me as a human being, not me as the Mythic Gazetteer. Uh, yeah. So you can check me out there. But um, yeah, that that's in a nutshell where to find me online. What's your YouTube channel? Oh, yeah, it's just my name, Eli Kurtz. Um, it's... It's linked in a pin post on my Twitter profile, too. So that's probably the easiest way to find it. Okay, good. All right. Now we can end the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and a big thank you to Matt Lee for our intro and outro music. Follow him at Nice Wizard Music. Support us by following on Twitter at PlaytestPod. Download all current documents for this game at playtest.pub. And find a link to our Discord from either of those to join our creative, friendly community. And remember, everyone, the world might suck sometimes. But you don't, and together we can all, as is a constant motif of all of these decrees, be more mindful of our actions.